Hello, friends, and welcome to Business and Beers Japan. As always, this episode is sponsored by Gugu. What is Gugu? First of all, it's a Japanese word. It's onomatopoeia for the sound you make when in deep sleep. And a great sleep is exactly what you get with a Gugu mattress. Gugu is a new concept in sleep comfort. It's a bed in a box. What is bed in a box? It's exactly that, a bed which comes in a compact box. It's revolutionary. Just go to gugu.jp, read all about it, especially the many testimonials from satisfied customers. They have single, double, and queen size available. And now you, the business and beers listeners, get an additional 20% off their already super affordable prices. Just enter BB Japan in the promo code box. If that's not enough to convince you, shipping is free and you get a 100 night great sleep guarantee. If it's not the best sleep ever, return the bed for free. There's really no risk. Just go to gugu.jp and get ready for sweet dreams. Better sleep, better you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Business and Beers Japan. This episode, I have a really fun guest, Ruth Jarman. As you will soon hear, she is full of energy and has tons of passion for promoting Japan, especially the off the beaten path specialty destinations. Ruth is the author of numerous books in Japanese and the founder of Jarman International. Today, we will focus mainly on the travel consulting arm of her business. She is one of the leading foreigners in Japan consulting Japanese government agencies, destinations, and businesses on how to attract international clients. She has a very interesting and successful strategy which focuses on quality over quantity, and you will hear all about some of these fantastic success stories right after I cut her off from singing. Ready or not, here is Ruth Jarman. So, all of my Japanese friends say English songs are so hard to figure out what the words are. And I'm like, that's totally true, even for me. Yeah. Like, for the longest time, I thought. Yeah.、Um, it's true. Wait, wait, what is it? What is his song?、Um, <laughs> keep on. So, keep on with the force. Don't stop. Don't stop till you get enough, right? Right.、Yes. For the longest time, I thought it was keep on to the post office. <laughs> Don't stop till you get enough. And I was like, man, Michael Jackson must love the post office. So, where is the beer? You got beer. Affirmative. The brewskis are right here under the title beer. I see.、Mm. Oh, I know what I want Stella. I love that. You do? Yes. Stella is a light beer, right? From Belgium.、Uh, Stella、one. is from. It says Belgium. I, I, oh, I guess it is from Belgium. Have you Belgium tried、then. this? Yeah. It's pretty good. It's light. Okay. Onegaishima. Stella, kudasai. Big size. Big size. You're from Hawaii? I'm from Hawaii. Which island? Oahu. Mmm. So, is that how you first got interested in Japan? Was because of the Japanese influence in Hawaii? Wow, you're so. That's exactly right. That's、um, not much of a stretch. Not really, but I mean, people. First of all, people, because of the way I look, don't expect me to be from Hawaii, number one. I didn't and, suspect you were from Hawaii. Yeah, and then、um, a lot of people can't connect why I would have come. I went to university in Boston, and why would I come to Japan after that? 
But what you're saying is exactly correct. When we were small in Hawaii, it was when they were having the huge increase in Japanese tourists to Hawaii. So as a little kid, you kept seeing all these Japanese tourists. You kept seeing um, when you go to Waikiki on the door of the restroom, you would see onna, kanji, and things right. like that. Yeah. We all watched um, this show called Jinzo Ningen Kikaida. Kikaida. You know Ultraman? Yeah. There was another guy named Kikaida. For some reason, and I spoke to the guy at Asahi TV, and he said Hawaii was the only place that it was so popular, they were able to re-show the same show for three years. And that was when all of me and my friends were like 6th, 7th, and 8th grade. And literally, we would watch that every week. And there was no English subtitles. There was no English at all. It was all... Jiro changing kikaida, and we would like totally try to learn that. So I think because of that show, and we thought it was so cool, our ears got used to Japanese. Yeah. So when I went to university, I tried to study German first. Total disaster. I could not get it. So I'm like, okay, well, German's too hard for me. So let me try Japanese. Why there not? There you go. I watched kikaida. Yeah. Okay. Uh. I took Japanese and I studied abroad in Nagoya and then I entered Recruit. It was just for a year contract. Then um, didn't end up working out, but I got married to a Japanese guy and then had these two wonderful, fantastic kids. I'm still here and I love it. Kampai! Cheers! Cheers! Our first beer. Our first beer. And well, and you. mine is quite large. Yeah, yours is. <laughs> well, like I said, I thought that you would be a little bit late, so I ordered a small one, <laughs> thinking I would be oh, done by the time you came brother, back. Brother, that is so good. You want to try? Stella, what are you drinking? This is um, Goose Island. Is it IPA? Yes, it is. Okay, I can't drink those. They seem they're too like, strong for me for some too reason. Too bitter. Is that what it is? Some of the IPAs are really hoppy. And I can barely taste, you know, the beer in them. They're just so overwhelming with the bitterness. So my good friend Lee Reeve is the beer king of Japan, and he's also the cider king of Japan. And um, so he's he's the king of two different types the, of alcohol. He's the king of two different kinds of alcohol. He knows everything about it. So you should just say he's the king of beers and ciders. <laughs> That's right. Maybe former king of beers, present king of ciders. Okay. I think he's he's passed his throne to someone else regarding beer. Sweet. Well, gosh, it looks like I need to order another one. You're, you're, you should. You Are we on? Big... Are we going? Yeah. Is we're it on. started? <laughs> Hi, everybody. <laughs> Let's get it started. Let's get it started in here. I can't really sing, right? Because it's copyrighted. That's what they were telling me the other day on the live stream. Don't sing. Yeah. It's, oh. very, it's pretty strict on and what you just can do. Just to warn you, yep. the other day when I started to sing on the live stream, yep. we lost like 200 viewers. So I shouldn't sing. You you promote destinations. You're an author. You work you work with Japanese companies to appeal to inbound tourists. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you do a lot of different things. How would you explain your business? If if you don't mind, if I say it in three steps. So the first step is Japan's population is going down. Japan's infrastructure is built for the bubble period when you had about 120 million people living here. I think right now you have 100 each each yoku ni sen money, right? right. So that's you have what, that's what we have million. right now. It yeah. was what, I think the so peak was 127. So yeah, 127. Okay. 
all the roads, all the golf courses, all the resorts, right. all the hospitals. Everything all is built for a huge population. So the, hopu- the population is aging. And so the amount of people that can go play at your golf course is decreasing. So what this Japan decided to do is let's get visitors from overseas to be our new customers to support our economy. Increase tourism. And this was a total top-down decision, which is perfectly correct in my point of view. Yeah. And it only started in 2012. Right. In 2012, they had 8 million tourists. Now in 2020, they've passed 30 million. That's amazing. And they're going for 60 million by 2030. So yeah, it's totally successful. But every regional area is like, what? You know, yeah. this place is fine. Because I don't, you said they're putting a lot of effort into training and the menu was in English. But I mean, think about like a soba shop in downtown Tokyo that never really ever had a foreign visitor before. Right. They're struggling. So what my company does is try to help people ease into this new international age by helping them feel confident. You don't have to change. What you need to do is you use what you already have because the content in Japan is just unrivaled. Right. The content here is perfect as it is. The infrastructure's there. You know, you know, you don't have to do anything else. I told them the other day, you don't have to do anything else. This is already too good. Right. It's already too confusing, the whole subway system yeah, and everything. The, the hardware is there. You just want to work on the software. Yes. So I often use the example of Hawaii where in the 1970s we had a huge influx of Japanese tourists and all Japanese people are like, yeah, that's right, I went then too and I still go all the time. And I say, see? So what we did at the beginning is none of us could speak Japanese, right? Right. So what we did is we just waited at the airport with our lays in our hand and when the Japanese tourists come off, we say, aloha, and we smile and we give them a lay. Yes. And then after you do that, all Japanese people go back to Japan and they say, oh my gosh, people in Hawaii are so friendly and they're so nice. And when you get off the plane, everything smells like flowers. Yeah. And so what I say is the first step is giving a feeling of welcome. When somebody walks into your store, you give them a smile and you say, At the beginning, Japanese is fine. Assume they speak Japanese, in fact. Because there's plenty of us here who already do speak Japanese. And the last thing we want to hear is when we walk in the store, somebody says, Harol. Because that's like saying you are foreign. So this is my new book that just came out three, three days ago. I saw that. Yeah. No, uh, you're exactly correct. I have 37 stores throughout Japan. And of course, at my store manager's meeting, I always give them a presentation. I give them some speech, kind of a rah-rah, some yeah, insight. Good. And I said the exact same thing t- as you did is assume they speak Japanese. Just greet them as you would any other Japanese person. And I also say to them, how many of you have been overseas? Raise your hand. And of course, all of them raise their hands. Did you go shopping when you were overseas? Of course, all of them did. Did every single store manager speak Japanese to you? No, of course they didn't. But uh, some of them probably said one or two words in Japanese to you, like konnichiwa, and you were happy about that. Foreigners are the same way. They don't expect you to speak fluent English. No, no one does. And they're going to try hard, and you're going to try hard, and you're going to make it work. Well, the reason why this is one of the topics in my book 
is because one of my consulting, the places that I consult for, which is Nankai Dentetsu, it's Nankai Railways in yeah. Osaka, amazing people. And they really want to do omotenashi, right, to all the visitors. So one of the gentlemen said, if the person that comes to the information desk is clearly from China, don't you think that we should say ni hao first just to be nice? And I thought about it and thought about it and we talked about it. And I said, you know, I actually think that might be a little risky. Because what if that person is Chinese Singaporean or Chinese American? You know, if you say ni hao at the beginning, you might, they might feel awkward. Like, for instance, if you went to New York and somebody said she she to you, and you're like, wait a minute, I'm Japanese, you know? Right. So in the same way, it's probably safer just to do Japanese from the beginning. Full-on Japanese. With so a smile. It, yeah. So if you say, Irashaimase, and it doesn't seem to be getting across, you could say, konnichiwa, like, not keigo. Polite Japanese is very difficult to understand for beginners. Absolutely. So you could say, konnichiwa. Right. Uh, you, please. You could even use katakana, like, just... You know, whatever you can remember, yeah. you know, put it into katakana yeah. and say it. And then um, if that still doesn't get through, then it's time for you to use your junior high school English and just try. Because one of the biggest points that I have to say, I say it to all of my Japanese clients, the side that is most nervous is the gaikokujin side. So Japan is the host. The gaikokujin is the guest. If the host is nervous... That's not going to give a good impression. The person who's most nervous about being in a different country, can't read anything, has no idea what's going on, needs a lot of help and needs a lot of kindness, is the other side. The other side is kincho shite. Right. And when I nervous. say that, people are like, that's true. You know? Sure. You got that right. Enoshima, Miyazaki, Sado, Nankai Railways, golf courses, spa, beauty. You must admit this is a bit of an eclectic customer base that you it have is. it is it's kind of on purpose why is that because i would never work with uh, companies that compete with each other so we keep them far apart kochi is in shikoku right so i probably sometimes if it's combined with kochi i will help tokushima or one of those ehime or other ones so i try to keep it so that for instance nankai dentetsu i work with them okay, i also work, i also i also work with jr east but they do not compete. Those two wouldn't right. compete because JR East is north. Mm -hmm. So I try to keep that separate. So I, I never want anyone thinking, you know, maybe whatever information we're giving her might go to our competitor. I don't like okay. that. So you have, you have all of the Japanese islands, but you don't have Hokkaido yet. No, I would like to get Wakanai. I'm working on Wakanai right now. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. You have six books that you've written. Yes. And I'll get to that in a second. But when you do your sales, when you approach, try to get new customers for your business, do you use your books as a little bit of a kind of a sales tool? It's like, hi, I'm Ruth Jarman. I've written these books about how great Japan is, and I want to represent you. I mean, how do you go about getting a new customer? That's a really good question. I kind of consider my books as sort of a way to help Japan. And in terms of sales, they would be part of my resume. I don't see them really as a sales tool. Okay. So. But what I meant by that is having these books, having you as an author writing about all these great things about Japan kind of gives you some legitimacy about your business. And I would assume that it must help 
approaching new customers. So because of the books, I get asked to do all these speeches to all these CEOs and things all over Japan. Okay. From that, some new customers will appear. Everybody in my company is kind of like a working mom with little kids, and we all work off-site. There's a lot of women in Japan that used to work in big foreign companies or used to work in big Japanese companies that speak great English, but they have little kids, so they're actually at home, yep. and that's an unused resource in Japan. So right now, five of my staff are Japanese ladies who speak English, who work from home, who have little kids. In my company, we like to focus on getting the results and doing the sales and bringing the content that the client has to the international audience. How do you get foreign tourists that are coming to Japan? How do you get that funnel from Narita Airport to Kobayashi City in Miyazaki? How, does, how, do, how do they go from point A to point B? Let's say you and I were going to travel somewhere. We probably wouldn't travel to the destination just because we haven't been there before. We would probably travel there because we want to see something that is there. So, for instance, Stonehenge in the UK is like way out there in the boondocks. But you've heard all about Stonehenge. And it's interesting. And you want to see those stones. And you want to go there. So, if I believe that if the destination is clearly worth the time and effort, people will go. So what we do is when we go to these places, we try to find their secret jewel. So can I tell you the story of Kobayashi and Miyazaki? It's so yeah, interesting. Yeah, because that's what's on the top of my head. I'm trying to think. I, I can't come, with any, come up with anything in my mind. This yeah. is Kobayashi. That's what we focus on. Okay. So I was doing a speech in Kagoshima. In that speech, there were all these representatives from different banks. And right now in Japan, they're trying to revitalize the regions. So they're sending people from banks to go help uh, these local areas. So one of the per- people that was in the speech came up to me afterwards and he says, you know, we got this really cool place called Kobayashi. We only have 40,000 people as population, but we already have 400 international residents. And they're all from different countries like France, Germany, all these. And I was like, that's interesting. Yeah. And he said, we have, like, the most amazing water that you've ever heard of. And I'm like, really? But Fuji does, too. You know, like, everybody has great water in Japan. Japan is overflowing with fantastic water, like, literally overflowing. He said, could you come and, like, see Kobayashi and help us promote Kobayashi? I'm like, okay. So I have this group of... um, You didn't sound very enthusiastic. No, I... You just said, okay. It sounded very small to me, like... like it's, Knowing it, you, Ruth, you should be going, okay, of course. Yeah, I was okay, but I, I was, but, you know, you don't... That's another really important point, right? Because everybody, all the regions are suffering, so you don't want to raise any expectations. Because Managing that, expectations. Yeah, because that would be bad, right, if you weren't able to perform or really help them. So I was sort of like, okay, yeah, I will try. So anyway, I took two of my Core 50 people with me to Kobayashi, And, you know, they pay for that and everything. That I absolutely request a stipend for the two people that go with me and everything. So it's it's a very well-paid for us to go down there and try to see if there's possibility here. So they start off with, oh, our water's really good. Our food's really good. Our vegetables are really good. And I'm like, You say that about any prefecture. Yeah. Well, I like Kyushu Island. It's great. And yeah, it was really pretty. And then we're in the taxi driving around, and it's a small town. It's cute, nice sakura, whatever. I said to the taxi driver, what do you like most about Kobayashi? 
What do you think is most famous about Kobayashi? Osakana no, like the fish, you know, the sturgeon fish are pretty cool in Kobayashi. I'm like, sturgeon fish? What do you mean, sturgeon fish? And he's like, oh, ikimashoka, shall I take you? Turns out, from the 1970s, Kobayashi had a cooperative relationship with the Soviet Union, the USSR, to be the first city in Japan to grow sturgeon fish to create Japanese caviar. They've been doing it since the 70s. And they That's have amazing. the they have the most delicious caviar you have ever tried in your life. And there's these really famous restaurants all over the world that use Kobayashi City caviar for their food. So one of the reasons no you have one of the one of the reasons you have French people living in Kobayashi and you have all these chefs and stuff moving there is because the water is so good that anything that grows in that water so they've basically mastered the art of growing the sturgeon fish. But it's, so, so it's farmed fish. Farmed fish. So you can but go in, up, in the ocean though. No, in these tanks. In the fresh uh, Kobayashi water from the Kirishima Renzan. It can't be that fresh if these fish are, are swimming in it for how many... No, I mean, it, it's an artesian well over there. Oh, it's okay, like totally okay, 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 renewed, okay. beautiful, fantastic water that people go and collect because it's sort of almost like holy water because it's from Kirishima Renzan where supposedly uh, Japan started. The birth of Japan was Kirishima mountains in Kyushu. And that's not only Kobayashi, that's all of Miyazaki down there. Anyway. Did you try the water? Yeah. Is it good? It's delicious. But I mean, you know, I'm not too much of a water connoisseur, but I tried the caviar. It tastes can so you buy, different. Can you buy this caviar anywhere in Japan? Can I go um, to the supermarket and buy it? You might be able to buy it at some supermarkets, but you can buy it online. Okay. It's the Kobayashi brand caviar, Kobayashi City. Yeah. It's the first place in Japan, in Japan to successfully grow sturgeon and make caviar and they've been doing it since the 70s and do they still export it to russia they i don't know if they were export to russia but they they do export to different places okay so to finish the story the taxi driver he told me what he likes about kobayashi right the kagoshima bank person who is in charge of bringing internationals to kobayashi never told me about caviar so that is the that is the point right there is that every single region is just overflowing with content, but nobody knows how to how to take make this into a story that will resonate with the prospective clients. So when I tried that caviar, it's like when I tried caviar from Russia or anywhere else, it's more salty. Whereas this one is like a really fresh taste. And you want to know the way they eat the caviar in Kobayashi? On sushi. Yes. Salmon sushi. So they put a little caviar on top of the salmon, and they eat it as like a actual sushi. Very different from anything I've ever tasted before. So, so I experienced that, and I was like, yeah, I can help with this. This is something I could do. So is that your angle now? Is the caviar part of Mia's, uh, of Kobayashi City? So everything starts with the caviar. So why would they be so creative to think of something like this? And who thought of putting all the money into this to develop this? Yeah. And then from the caviar, you get to the point of, well, if the fish tastes really good because it's swimming in this water, that's why all the vegetables would be particularly good because they're all you know grown with this water. So they have all these 
homestays where you can go to like a farm place and you can stay overnight and you can go out and pick the vegetables and then they make it tempura right there and you eat it. I'm ready to go. Yeah. I mean, it, it's kind of a no-brainer. When you yeah. find that, it's like, yeah, of course. So how do you now... So let's look at the business side of this. This is what I'm very interested in. How do you take that content, which is sounds fantastic, how do you get that into the mind of the inbound tourist? Okay. In Japan, this is something a lot of people don't know and they don't practice, and that's why they don't succeed, is that Japanese people love the long-term view. You do not have to produce results like tomorrow. They don't expect that. We, in my company, we always take a very long-term view, and we're very careful with who we do a contract with. And when we do do a contract, I always tell the other side, you know, now you, you do know that we are married to you now, right? <laughs> so until you, like, divorce me, I'm going to be sticking with you, like, forever. That's why we're really careful about who we choose to get involved with. We take a very long-term view. Usually the way that I set it up is I have core 50 people that have a little bit of extra time. They all have full-time jobs. They're all professionals. But they love helping Japan. They love to learn about these things. So I usually set up one core 50 person as a project manager for each project. And they uh, do a monthly report. They operate a Facebook page for the locality. What we try to do is we try to set up outside links for their website. So we will go to Atlas Obscura. Have you ever heard of them? They're a travel website. So we will pitch an article to them about Kobayashi. And we will get an article published in Atlas Obscura for international tourists that are thinking of coming to Japan. So are you a, it sounds like you're a PR agency. No, we're totally everything. We will actually take people down there. We don't do tours. But we will take other core 50 people down there. Like one of our ladies that we took, she used to work at the Belgian embassy because I really think that Europeans would love this Kobayashi place. So we take her down there and we say, go girl, find good stuff. And so she spends like three days going around from a Belgian person's point of view, taking photos, doing Facebook updates and things like that. So you're creating an influencer for Kobayashi Mm. City. That's PR. Yeah, I feel like we're kind of, we're creating a base of information for them, which they currently only have in Japanese. We contact people directly. So that's another way, right? So you provide all this content and you're, it's sort of like you're verbalizing all this wonderful content that exists here in a different language for them. And then that will connect to all these niche groups that are interested. I used to work in the travel industry. So I know a little bit about the travel industry in Japan. That's very interesting. So when I heard about what you do, what I was assuming was that you would maybe go to certain travel agencies or tour operators, uh, tour package uh, consolidators, and try to get them to put Kobayashi City or Enoshima Spa or Kochi to, to try to get them to include that in their package tours for inbound tours. tourists. That's kind of what, how I thought that maybe what you did. But it sounds like it's a little I, bit different. We would do that if we thought that that was good for the client. So I guess one thing that I have to say is that we always work on retainer. So we don't work based on commissions or anything like that. So they pay us per month. Our service is sort of an outsourced sales and promotion and marketing to the international group. And we always try to look and see what would be best for them. Kobayashi 
does not want to get overrun with tourists. So that was the one, you pointed out a really good point. One of the first things we talked about was exactly how many people do you want? Do you want 200,000 people a year? No. This is such a beautiful, untouched, you know, exclusive sort of, you know, hidden jewel. So we thought about it and we came up with the number five. They, they're like, if five new people came a day, we'd be happy. That's a thousand a year. So 1,000 people a year, fine, from Kobayashi's point of view. All the small restaurants and the small hotels or ryokans, all the infrastructure that is surrounding the caviar, the water, obviously the restaurants, because people go there, if they're going there for caviar and the great vegetables, and I really love that story about you pick your own vegetables and you make tempura out of it, so that's what people are going to want to do. But they're going to have to eat it somewhere, and they're going to have to consume it somewhere. Service providers of all these great Kobayashi things, are they on board with this? You know, you have probably touched upon the most important point, because no, they're not. As I said earlier, this all started in 2012. This has been a totally top-down kind of activity. Money has been sent to all the regional areas. You know, you need these inbound tourists. So we see it as part of our job to help the little towns get used to us. So that's why we send lots of people down there. We always try to stay at the same hotel just to get one hotel really used to us. Right. So we try to ease them into... We see part, a really important part of our job yep. is to interact with the people on site. Yep. So the top people are saying, do this, let's bring in 5,000 people a year or 1,000 people a year or whatever. Yep. The people that are actually receiving the people are sort of like, what? Who t- nobody told me this, you know? We really want to be involved with the process. It's all about quality, not quantity. Right, because we don't want to send somebody and have them have a bad experience. No. So we see kind and of... vice versa. Exactly. Right. Why do you suppose it's so difficult for Japan to promote itself? Mm, I think denim is the best example. So Japanese denim, out of the top 10 denim companies, like seven of them are from Japan. Totally under the radar. Because in Japan, it's better not to stand out. Just being humble? Being humble or just like keep it on the low is a really cool thing in Japan. Uh, there's a there's a phrase in Japanese, futa wo akete mireba. Take off the lid and to your surprise, what did you find? The denim situation in Japan, it tells the perfect story of Japan. All this most amazing content, nobody will ever think that they've gotten to the highest level yet. So no one will ever have the confidence to say, oh, we're the best in the world now, so you have to look at Japan now. No, no one in Japan would ever say that. But that's a cultural issue that translates then into everything, whether it be destinations, denim, products, services. Everything. So that's why now that they're bringing in all these non-Japanese people into Japan, it's up to you and I to try to help tell the story. But they've gone from 8 million to... 31 million in 2018. So they must be doing something right. The government is doing something right. They're selling destinations, but Kyoto is totally overrun with tourists. It's true. Kamakura is totally overrun with tourists. So now they have a, play, a problem called over-tourism. Yeah, I know. So that. now the move, now that the, the um, energy is being spent on trying to spread everybody out. 
So we'll yeah. see what happens with that. But in order to spread everybody out, for instance, Kanazawa is becoming quite a popular tourist destination. Kanazawa. Kanazawa. Yeah, in the Japan seaside. Yes, very pretty place. Yeah, it's gorgeous. And they have this thing called uh, Kagayuzen, which is a type of kimono, the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. I love it. So they have Kyoto Yuzen. If, I hope I'm not saying, I might be making a mistake, but they have a Kyoto version of the Yuzen and they have a Kaga version of the Yuzen, which is the Kanazawa version. And the Kyoto version has bits of gold in the design, whereas the Kaga Yuzen doesn't use gold. It's not like a, a in-your-face kind of design. It's a very gentle, and when you open the kimono, is the first time you get to see the whole design of it. People are starting to realize that Kanazawa is a very interesting, beautiful place to go. So, how many Westerners are going to buy a $20,000 kimono to wear to the wedding of their son? No one. No one. But there are many wealthy Westerners who will buy a fantastic kimono as a piece of art. Framed. Framed. Wall. So when we go to Kanazawa to do our consulting, we say, you need to sell it with the expectation that this is going to be displayed. Right. This is not going to be worn. This is going to be displayed. So that's why you have to tell the story of what is being told in this kimono. That's where you and I come in. Because Japanese people, it wouldn't occur to them that you need to send that, you need to sell it with that wooden hanger thing. You know that wooden hanger thing course, that you yes. put the kimono on? Right. They need to sell that as a set because somebody's going to want to display that in their house. So that's telling the story is, I think, our job. The bicultural storytelling. And that's something that's very unique. And that's one of the reasons why I like to do this podcast. Yeah, me too. Is because you have a great story to tell and you have great insight that most people don't have. Yeah. Because Japan is the most exciting place right now. Isn't it? Yeah. Cheers. So everybody should come right now. It's the best place. It's the safest country in the world. Can we it's can the... we say that it's one of the best places to live too? Absolutely. I really think that you should live here, everybody. Yeah. I don't think that it's a, a tourist destination. Yes, no brainer. It's safe. It's beautiful. It's fantastic. It's not yeah. very expensive. But I mean, to actually live here. Why, why doesn't everybody just come live here? We need more people. That's true. Well, I think you need to talk to the government a little bit about that. I mean, they people just can't up and move here and live here, I don't think. Well, I mean, if they get a job. Well, then we have the language issue. Because hmm. you must admit, Japanese aren't the best English speakers in the world. Well, you know that I was on the English program for five years on NHK. I will say the Japanese English education system, elementary, junior high, high school is really bad because they focus only on correct or incorrect. Right. And that doesn't encourage... And Japanese people, uh, because of the way that they're brought up, want to be perfect in everything they do. If they're not perfect, if they don't know the perfect way to say this, they'd rather not say it exactly. in English. True. So Japanese people have a huge hesitancy towards speaking English. But in the show that I was on for five years... It would, the, the purpose of the show was to present the idea that junior high school level English in Japan is enough to do business, international business. 
But the Japanese education system, especially in elementary, junior high school, even in high school, it focuses just on learning grammar, which is very boring. So it's grammar and it's vocabulary. Right. With no emphasis whatsoever on conversation. Yes. So that's where there's a huge disadvantage for Japanese people, right? Because they have all the knowledge in their brain, but they don't know how to get it out of their mouth. Yeah. But what I figured out is that if the person speaks slowly, Japanese communicate at a high context communication style. This is correct, yes. So they're very good at reading what you're trying to say, even、yes. if they don't, maybe they don't understand every word coming out of your mouth. If you say, please repeat much more slowly to the person who's speaking English to you, they will say it again in a very slow pace. And I guarantee, in Hawaii we say, Garen's barbarians. That's our pidgin English. <laughs> Garen's barbarians, you're gonna understand it. I used to say that all the time. And I, you did? I, I did, but I forgot about it. I haven't heard that word for. Garen's barbarians? Yeah. In Seattle? 20 years, yeah. Did you yeah. guys steal it from us? Because that's like total pidgin English. I don't know. I don't know where I, I got that, but I know that phrase, yes. You used to say Garen's barbarians. Garen's barbarians. Because there's a lot of、um, Hawaii people that live in Seattle, too. So yeah, that could、true. have been it. Hey, I want to go back because I really like that point that you made about the high context.、Mm. What do you mean by that? Did you say it again? High context communication、yeah. style. So, what do you mean by high context communication level? Okay, so if I had known this, I probably wouldn't have had a divorce. Like, seriously, because my husband was ex husband was Japanese, and I knew nothing about this. Japanese people are like top level in the world. For no word communication. I kind of knew that because people would always ask me, What is difficult for you about Japanese language? And I would always say, Honestly, the words that are not spoken are the most difficult for me, where you have to read the air.、Yep. that I can't do it. I don't know how to do it. I have no idea. And then sometimes my ex husband, when, for instance, when my dad would say something or somebody else would say something, my ex husband would say, I think what they really mean is this. And it would be exactly opposite from what they had actually said.、Okay. And I said, no, my dad is saying exactly what he thinks. He's, your, dad, is, your dad said he wants to have donuts for breakfast. And、yeah. he interpreted it as. And like my ex husband would say, I don't think he likes donuts. And I'd be like, no, no, no. He, he said he likes donuts, which means he likes donuts. And my husband would be like, no. He means he, he didn't like the donuts we gave him. And, and so, okay, wait. So, so does that mean that Japanese have this kind of like ESP and no, the、no. sixth sense on reading people's、no. minds? So, basically, in Japan, the person is usually saying what they think is proper to say in that situation. And the, the job of the person listening to them is to figure out exactly what they're trying to say, like what they really are trying to say. In, in Japan, when you have people interacting with each other, they're always trying to figure out what are they really trying to say. And in the actual words that come out of your mouth, it's more like hints. It's not really like specifically, this is what I want. High context communication. So, why don't they just speak directly to each other? Because they've had such a long history just speaking to each other. Actually, in Japan, it's a very valued、um, skill. To be able to communicate with few words. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the,、mm. the typical examples that they use in business is that kento、uh, suru, I'll think about it, basically means no. I, I mean, yeah. It's a polite so, way of saying no. I would say that it's extremely nuanced, and I would also say that 
in Japan, it's very respected when you can communicate with few words. It's just more cool. Yeah. Whereas in the US, we're very clear with what we do because if you look, there's actually a graph that international researchers have created about communication styles in different countries. And out of 10, the score 10, Japan scores 9.2 as high context. So, like, top level in the whole world, like top three countries for high context. So, They, 9.2 is the highest on that scale?、Uh, 9.7 was Thailand, and that's the highest.、Really? But 9.2 is very high, so very high context. America, what do you think the score is? 3.4. 0.5. That's how low context <laughs> we are. It's because, you know, we were all immigrants and we were all speaking English as a second language and we just had to get by from about 250 years ago. And so it becomes very clear, right? It's very important when you're trying to function in Japan that you know that this difference exists. That no one is saying you have to change. Like, you don't have to be high context because we can't. If we're used to a low context environment, we yeah. can't. Yeah. And nobody is telling the high context person suddenly when you're speaking to a Japanese person, you need, need to be more low context. What I say is, or whenever you're speaking to somebody who's not Japanese, let's all practice going low context because it's very difficult to communicate for us. Well, I think that's also, correct me if I'm wrong, getting around to your business. Isn't that some of the consulting that yeah, maybe you、exactly、do? Yeah, that's exactly what I do, yes. What's something you wish you knew when you first came to Japan? I wish I had known about the communication style difference. I wish I had known about the high context, low context thing. I really wish I had known that. You might still be married. Well, I, and I think that I would have done much better in business. And I think I would have been able to make more friends because I feel like I just was so confused. Like, even now, even now, I have a difficult time making Japanese friends. Because I don't know where to go to casual and where to stay with polite. And But do you have, as a foreigner, do you have to though? Because even if you are in, you're speaking to somebody who is perhaps older than you or maybe has a higher social status than you, and you don't use that honorific Japanese, you're not held really responsible for that.、Yeah. People don't say, oh, she doesn't know. Common courtesy. They, go, they just think, oh, she's a foreigner. She just doesn't know all these rules. I have a lot of difficulty doing the casual kind of Japanese interaction. And it, so it's, it's difficult for me to make friends in Japan. I, I would say that. Yeah, it's difficult for me to make、it's、friends. It's difficult for you to make I mean, friends? I have tons of acquaintances, but it's hard to go deeper. With Japanese or with anybody in general? With foreigners as well? With foreigners, I have a much easier time. Yeah, I, I, that is a difficult part for me. So, we all know about the advantages and the disadvantages of being a foreigner, being a gaijin in Japan. Yes. What are some of the advantages of being a gaijin female、yeah. in Japan? I would say that,、um, well, I'm an outside director of this company called Fujibo Holdings. I just started there in June of last year. And literally, their board of directors are all 50 and above Japanese gentlemen. They've never had a foreign board member, they've never had a woman board member. Wow. So I'm the, the total diversity, you know, club of. You're, you're blowing these guys' minds. <laughs> yeah. So, a total advantage of being a foreign woman 
is that you are able to say things that other Japanese women would not be able to say. I can say things on behalf of Japanese women that they would not be able to say in some situations. So, why couldn't the Japanese women say that if they were a board member? First of all, there's very few board members that are Japanese women, and there's a reason for that. And the reason for that is that、um, I don't think a lot of Japanese men, although I love Japanese men and I love men in general, I don't think maybe the Japanese men in power right now have any point of reference for a peer who's a female. So they don't really know what to do with them. And so if a Japanese woman said something that their wife wouldn't say, there's really no point of reference. So they feel like it's, they feel very strange and it would not be really accepted. But if I'm doing it, They can say, it's not a woman, it's a guy Kogujin who's saying it. So let's listen to her. Yeah. And so I feel like I'm advantaged in the sense that as a woman, guy Kogujin, I can say things on behalf of other women that might make a difference. And they can accept it as, ah, it's a guy Kogujin saying it, which、That's、is、great. easier for them to accept. That's great, yeah. Man, Ruth, this was、uh, very amazing talking to you. Thank you. You got so much great insight and so much passion about Japan. I love it so much. Thank so, you. You're a fantastic guest. Thanks a lot for coming and cheers. Well, thank you so much. Cheers. And that, ladies and gentlemen, was Ruth Jarman. As advertised, she is definitely full of energy and passion. Our conversation lasted for over two hours, and in addition to the travel part of her business, we also discussed her numerous books, which she wrote in Japanese, which includes the 37 Reasons Why Japanese Should Be Proud, and she will give us the top three reasons and cultural background on why Japanese should be proud. Stay tuned for a future Business and Beers. Podcast again featuring Ruth Jarman. Thanks again for listening, everybody, and we'll catch you next time. Bye bye.